In 2005, Paul Cortez was pursuing his theatrical and musical career in New York City while intermittently dating 21-year-old Catherine Woods, an aspiring dancer from Columbus, Ohio. Catherine also allowed her ex-boyfriend, David Hahn, who struggled financially and with drug addiction, to stay in her Manhattan apartment until he got back on his feet. On November 27, 2005, Catherine was brutally stabbed to death in her apartment with police and ear witnesses placing the time of the crime between 6.20 and 6.25 p.m. Hahn called 911 at 6.50 p.m. and named Paul Cortez as the murderer when the police arrived. When police found one of Paul's fingerprints that they mistakenly believed was impressed in blood rather than an old print that had been covered by blood, Paul became the prime suspect. Even though surveillance footage in front of Catherine's building only placed David Hahn at the scene, Paul was arrested and charged with her murder. With Paul's defense failing to question this fingerprint or present key exculpatory evidence, including the surveillance footage as well as the attacker's DNA from the victim's fingernails and hands, Paul was convicted and sentenced to 25 to life. We'll now check in with Paul and his attorney, Tony Marie Angeli, to see where his case stands. This is Wrongful Conviction. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Welcome back to Wrongful Conviction. Today's case is going to blow your mind. You know, I thought I had seen everything until I heard about the case of Paul Cortez. This case, it has racism. It has incompetence on official levels. It has junk science. 
but it also has attorneys representing the defendant who themselves were committing numerous crimes before, during, and probably after the trial. So, yeah, sorry, I'm a little worked up today, but you will be too by the time you finish hearing this episode. This is Wrongful Conviction Behind Bars, where today's guest is, of course, Paul Cortez. And Paul, I'm really sorry you're here because of the circumstances, but I'm really happy to have you on the air. Thank you, Jason. I'm just very grateful for you to have me on the show and to be able to finally get my story out there. And with us today is Tony Marie Angeli of the Angeli Law Firm. I hope you're never in trouble, but if you are, you should track her down because she's a pit bull. Um, and I mean that in the best way. Tony Marie, I'm glad you're here. Thank you. And I am so happy to be here. So, Paul, you came from a poor neighborhood in the Bronx, right? What was your childhood like? Well, I was just like any normal kid in the Bronx, coming from a Puerto Rican family. My mom raised us, three kids. My father left when I was younger, and my mom remarried later on. My mom always pushed academics and doing well in school, so I think it was around 12. I had tested into private schools, and I started going to private schools in Manhattan for junior high and then high school. During that time, I was into sports. I was in the theater. I was in the, the arts. I auditioned to all of these colleges, and I eventually got into Boston University, and I earned my bachelor's in fine arts. I was the first in my family to go to college and to graduate. That was in 2003 when I graduated. And after that, I came back to New York to pursue a life in the arts, and I was very hopeful at that time for accomplishing my dream. So now you're auditioning for rent, making your way in the city that never sleeps coming from a background that normally most people don't manage to make it to anything like their dreams. So what was happening back then? Take us back to 2003. I had signed with a talent agency, and I was very excited about that. I went on several auditions, and I was also doing music on the side as well. It was really fun. I was living life to the fullest at that time. Now, here we go to December 2005. You are working as a physical trainer and a yoga instructor, doing your auditions, completing your solo musical album. And the person at the center of this was your on-again, off-again girlfriend. And that woman who was the victim in this case is a woman named Catherine Woods. Yeah, Catherine was 21 at the time, and she was a really special person, and I really cared for her. And we had a great relationship, and like any relationships, there are ups and downs, but I always cared for her. So she was taking voice and dance lessons, working part-time jobs at a hair salon, was seeing several different men. That's her choice, you know, no judgment here. And she worked as a stripper at night under the alias of Ava. She had told her parents and friends that she was dancing in an off-Broadway show as a character named Ava. So... I mean, again, no judgment here, but it does present a complex picture of a person. Then, as fate would have it, when she was visiting her family in Columbus, Ohio, she met a troubled guy named David Hahn. Now, David was a guy who had grown up in foster homes in Columbus and dropped out of high school. At the time he met Catherine, he was unemployed and attempting to make it as a rapper. 
And not too long after they met, he moved to New York to live with her. He struggled financially and bounced around, couldn't hold a job, and she paid most of his bills. But weeks before the murder, Catherine had asked David to move out, but he struggled with drug use. So she had recently allowed him to move back in and sleep on the couch. Now, can you sort of fill in the blanks here, Paul? Well, she was definitely trying to get him out of the apartment. And several times where she had asked him to and was successful, he would call her depressed and threatening to kill himself. And it was kind of a volatile situation. She always said that he's like family and that she really cares about him. She kept a lot of it to herself. She was very private in that sense. And then in April of 2005, Catherine was drugged at one of the strip clubs that she worked at. What a nightmare. Paul, can you tell us what happened with that? She called me at the club. And she asked for help, and I hurried down. She was really messed up. She could hardly walk. She didn't want to go back to her apartment, so I just brought her to a hotel and set her up there and got her to go to the hospital because she was worried that she might have gotten raped at that time. So uh, being concerned about it all, I went back and called her parents. I thought maybe her parents could talk to her and help her out. But she got upset at me because that nightlife was something that she didn't discuss with her family. And while I think that any reasonable person who cared about somebody as you did might do the same thing if they were in your shoes, this caused a real rift between you two. And when questioned by her father about what you had told him, Catherine said that you were crazy, that she was not working as a stripper or involved in anything dangerous. Her dad believed her, and she then broke up with you, although several weeks later, you both reconciled and got back together. So sometime after this, you went to Catherine's home and happened to meet David. Now, the two of you only met this one time, but David had been unaware of your and Catherine's relationship, and when he found out, he became very upset, feeling misled. And so this now brings us to November 27, 2005, when Miss Woods was found stabbed to death in her Upper East Side apartment. According to police reports and ear witness testimony, the attack happened in two parts, first around 6 p.m. and then finally around 6.23 p.m. with four, count of four, witnesses hearing Catherine screaming and crying. Now, David had initially told police that he left the apartment 20 minutes before he called 911 at 6.50 p.m. that evening, which would have placed him within the apartment during that exact time frame described by the witnesses. And when police arrived on the scene, David immediately named Paul as the killer, holding up a CD of Paul's music. I mean, it's unreal. Okay, so Tony Marie, tell us about the investigation and what was it that shifted the focus to Paul and away from David, who would have seemed like the obvious suspect? Well, initially, law enforcement had identified David Hahn as the perpetrator. And everything that he said at the time, looking back now with 2020 hindsight, it was deceptive, it was inaccurate, and it showed that he was the perpetrator. But what happened was law enforcement found this bloody fingerprint, which they called it, which it actually isn't, in the apartment, and the focus switched to Paul. Right. And this fingerprint plays such an important role throughout this whole story. So investigators found this fingerprint, but it didn't match David Hahn. And Paul becomes the prime suspect. But this fingerprint is actually a latent fingerprint and not a patent fingerprint, which is what it was incorrectly believed to be. Can you break this down for us really quick? 
Well, anytime we touch a surface, we can leave a fingerprint. And that could be from our sweat or if something was on our hands. So you would leave a print and it would not be made from another substance that went on top of it. So if you leave a print and then a substance goes on top, that's latent. And if the print is made of the substance, like they argued at trial, they argued that the fingerprint was patent made of blood, which it is not. It was latent, pre-existing. Exactly. So the fingerprint's already there. And then the blood ends up on top of it. And this makes sense that Paul's fingerprints were there as he and Catherine had been in a relationship and he'd been to her home many, many times. So was there any other evidence at all that pointed to Paul? The case against Paul was really founded on two or three pieces of evidence. So they had their team in there for days documenting this very bloody crime scene. It was a big fight in there. And that led to this fingerprint that was on the wall. The other piece of evidence was cell phone records, Paul's cell phone records, Catherine's cell phone records, and David Hahn's cell phone records. And the prosecution and the police built a theory that Paul was texting and leaving these messages, was this jilted lover, and that she was rejecting him. He was full of rage and killed this girl. It's not actually supported by any of the evidence, but that was their theory. Here's where things started spinning out of control, in my opinion, which is that immediately after the murder, the police leaked erroneous information, false information, call what you want, to the media relating to the investigation, and they ate it up. TV news and newspapers were filled with stories with this false narrative of a scary, alleged Puerto Rican predator from the Bronx taking the life of this sweet, innocent girl from the Midwest. And so the media made it about race. And one of the stories even cited anonymous police sources with reports of an alleged confession letter, alleged existence of a surveillance video showing Paul leaving the crime scene, which, of course, all of it was totally false. In fact, the exact opposite was true. There was a video that proves my innocence, a video that shows their original suspect leaving the crime scene 13 minutes after the commission of the crime. And I'm nowhere on this video at all. And I'm nowhere on any videos. And the cops and the DA's office, they were leaking information to the media saying, oh, he was on camera around the time of the crime and all of this. But they had the video that showed their original suspect entering into the scene and coming out 13 minutes after the crime. It's just horrendous. This episode is underwritten by AIG, a leading global insurance company. AIG is committed to corporate social responsibility and is making a positive difference in the lives of its employees and in the communities where we work and live. In light of the compelling need for pro bono legal assistance and in recognition of AIG's commitment to criminal and social justice reform, the AIG pro bono program provides free legal services and other support to underrepresented communities and individuals. While Paul awaited trial at Rikers Island, his family pulled together their life savings to retain Dawn Florio and her colleague, Laura Miranda, to represent Paul at trial. Now, unfortunately, 
that's not even a strong enough word, unbeknownst to Paul and his family. Florio, while she was representing Paul, she was simultaneously under indictment by the same prosecutor's office for smuggling drugs into a client at Rikers Island. The case against Florio received repeated adjournments and the court file remains sealed to this day. But all of this came to light as the trial was starting and the trial judge, Judge Berkman, did not do a proper conflict inquiry, which is called a Gomberg inquiry, basically telling Paul that they didn't see how it would be a problem and inferred he would have to go to trial without counsel if he pursued the matter further. Unreal. So he would have had to represent himself. I mean, it's nuts. Okay, so Paul, you'd been waiting for 18 months at Rikers Island, a notoriously dangerous, chaotic, and scary place. And this is how your trial was starting. I mean, what was that like? Yeah, I, basically, my lawyers didn't show up for the first three days of trial, and it was just a mess from the beginning. They seemed ill-prepared. Now, I think some people in our audience may well say to themselves, wait a minute, I thought I heard him say that his attorneys didn't show up for the first three days of trial, but that can't be true. Yeah, you're right. They didn't show up. I didn't know where they were. And it's so bad that one of your attorneys was held in contempt of court and actually fined $1,000 for not showing up. And when they did show up, they didn't even pretend to make an effort to represent you. So, Tony Marie, the two defense attorneys, Florio and Miranda, can you talk about the myriad errors that they made during the trial? Well, they didn't hire any experts and they didn't develop any of this evidence. They didn't go to the scene. They didn't speak to the witnesses. The one thing they did do was they contacted a fingerprint expert. I spoke to that expert. I got an affidavit from him. What is chilling is that expert actually told the defense that there was a problem with the fingerprint. It looked like it was latent and they should have the sheetrock examined and test the medium. So the one direction they got, they were actually given information as to how to disprove this by an expert. They didn't call the expert. They didn't do it. And we haven't even touched on one of the biggest things here, which is the surveillance video that Paul mentioned earlier. And this is, it just blows my mind. On the video, you can clearly see David Hahn leaving the apartment at 637. And there's the timestamp right on the video. And that's just 13, 14 minutes after this brutal murder took place at 623. But the defense attorneys didn't show this to the jury. Because it turns out that while they had the video, they didn't know this was there because they hadn't even bothered to watch the whole video. The defense didn't bring it to light. And the prosecutor went forward and argued and presented evidence that we now know affirmatively was untrue. And we now know affirmatively he knew at the time. So it is a profound injustice and failing all the pieces of our system that we rely on. Okay, so the state presented mostly circumstantial evidence, like the high volume of calls you mentioned, and the only physical evidence presented was the latent fingerprint, which we've talked about. But the state also presented what they described as evidence, but can only really be described as somewhere between ridiculous and ludicrous. I'm talking about Paul's diary entries dating back to when he was 10 years old, what world do we live in when this is allowed to be admitted? They also submitted lyrics to a song that Paul co-wrote with his fellow band member and a childhood comic drawing of a teenage mutant ninja turtle 
holding a sword. Wow. I mean, this is as bad as the West Memphis Three in that sense. And this was brought into the trial as supposed proof that he was a violent guy, even though Paul had no history whatsoever of violence or any run-ins at all with the law. And here's the thing. Obviously, whoever was involved in this violent struggle for Catherine's life, in which she ripped out the hair of her attacker and clawed him as well, one would say, well, Paul must have been covered in scratches or at least had blood on him or, you know, maybe even a significant amount of blood. But he didn't. First of all, that testimony came out at trial by the forensic experts called by the police that the person would be covered in blood. What didn't come out at trial was the cleanup that took place. There was crystal violet all in the tub. So the perpetrator not only was covered in blood, but cleaned up in that apartment before they left. We know from the video footage that is internet timestamped, proven to be accurate, that David Hahn walked out of that apartment 13 minutes after the homicide occurred. What the prosecutor did, which was just incredibly inappropriate in my opinion and rises to the level of misconduct, is then argue to the jury in closing, knowingly untrue assertions that David Hahn left the apartment at six o'clock before the homicide occurred, leaving this window of 40 minutes for Paul Cortez to have gone in and committed a homicide that he didn't commit. That's how this conviction happened. So Tony Marie, if you had been able to represent Paul at the original trial, and I know you probably wish you could go back in time and do that, how would things have gone differently? I think if you play the video and watch it and see someone else leaving the scene after the homicide, that is key. And you show that to the jury. That would have changed the day. The forensic evidence, for instance, there were hairs found in Catherine's hand, hairs with the roots attached. The only tests that were done on those hairs were by the prosecution, comparing it to Paul. He's excluded. Why not test those hairs? Why not go forward with that type of investigation? It's a homicide. Go to the scene, speak to the witnesses. The failings are just monumental. I just never expected that I would be convicted. I, I just believed that the truth would prevail. And that's why I took the stand. And I tried to be as forthcoming as I could on the stand. I completely expected that they would acquit me because they would know that what I was saying was the truth. So here we have it. No evidence presented by the defense, phony evidence presented by the prosecutors, and the results are a foregone conclusion. And now the worst moment comes. You get convicted, right? Then you get taken away. So tell us about that. I mean, from Rikers, I guess it couldn't get worse, could it? It did, and at certain points throughout this incarceration, it has. When I heard the guilty verdict, it was just a complete shock to me. I didn't expect it. This life that I've been living for the past 16 years as an innocent man in prison and all the terrible things I've witnessed throughout these 16 years, all the tragedies, it was definitely the hardest time of my life. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. 
Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. I went to my first prison, which was Auburn Correctional Facility, which is a disciplinary jail. It's probably one of the most violent prisons at the time. Multiple stabbings every day, people beating each other up, gang violence. So I'm just trying to stay safe, trying to fight the case during that time. I mean, with everything that's gone on, there are definitely waves, even today, of me just being so crazy mad at everything about life, about how unfair everything is. But, you know, that just makes a person bitter. And we just have to continue in the best way we can to be good people and and help people in the situations that we're in. And that's what I've been trying to do. I've always saw this as a test. And if I can pass this test, And if I can come out of this a better person, not just someone who survived this, but someone who's overcome and someone who has contributed throughout this ordeal to try to help others who have been even less fortunate than I. I guess I hold on to the fact that there are people like Tony Marie, people like yourself, people like my family and my friends who know that I am innocent and they believe in my innocence and they haven't and they don't give up on me. And knowing that has been something that has really given me hope throughout all of this. And it has made me the person that I am. Tony, Marie, how did this case first land on your desk? And what was it about this that made you decide to devote yourself, pro bono, by the way, for years to this man, Paul Cortez? Well, I was contacted by some of Paul's ardent supporters in the fall of 2015. And I ordered the file. And when I opened it up in January of 2016, I did what any thinking lawyer might do. I put the video in. And when I put the video in and I saw David Hahn leaving after that homicide had occurred, 
I couldn't but get involved. Upon seeing that, I worked up the case. I contacted, you know, 11 different experts on crime scenes and the cell phone records, the cell site records, which show where Paul is, which is actually not at the apartment. Went through every slip of paper in this case. And what came over and over and over again was more and more and more information showing how innocent he is. And honestly, it was all there all along. It was in the file. So these lawyers, bad enough not showing up, but then not introducing the evidence that was in their files and then claiming later on that they didn't even know that it was there. The real consequence of that is that now you can't introduce that evidence as new evidence because it was there the whole time. So now Paul is stuck with the much more difficult, legally speaking, task of proving ineffective assistance of counsel. Although in this case, it seems like that should be open and shut. One would think that this should be pretty straightforward when we look at all the malfeasance and all the incompetence and everything else and the evidence itself. So how has it unwound thus far in terms of the post-conviction litigation? There was appeals of the conviction itself and some rulings that suggested that there should be a 440, which in New York is where you go back and say, hey, we want to put everything on the record and fix this. There's some issues. The failings of the defense and failing to just do basic investigation, to speak to the witnesses. I did do that motion and stunningly it was denied. But now it's in front of a federal judge, Judge Freeman in New York, and it's been a long wait. Paul has been very unlucky in many ways as our motion was submitted prior to COVID. So there's been a halt there. But we're hopeful. And as a lawyer, I have to believe that when you put this type of evidence in front of a judge and show this kind of injustice, that the judge is going to correct it. I do believe that However you slice it, this is ineffective assistance of counsel, and this is actual innocence. And we should be successful in federal court. And I'm relying on the judge to do the right thing, order a hearing, dismiss this, order a new trial. It's so clear that he did not commit this crime. And so, Paul, for the people who are listening right now and feeling this mixture, the same one that I feel of anger and and just just rage at the wrongdoing in this case and and the desire to help to do something to move this forward, what would you like them to do? Is there a website you want people to go to or is there a change.org petition or anything like that? Yeah, there is a change.org petition. One of them is a petition for clemency. And then the other thing is the website. It's www.freepaulcortez.com. And people can visit that site to see everything more in detail, everything about the case. Well, we're going to have all of the links in the bio in the episode. So please, wherever you are, unless you're driving, in which case, wait till you stop. But go click on those links because your voice matters and you can help us help Paul and bring him home where he belongs. I would also suggest, too, that if you are a New Yorker, contact your state assembly member, your state senator in your district, and let them know how you feel and have them try to advocate as well. I've always found that these state senators and state assemblymen are more receptive than you would think, and it's a lot easier for them to reach the ear of the governor than it is for us, just normal people. 
Oh, that's a very good suggestion. And Paul, we have a tradition here of closing the show in a particular type of way. It's my favorite part of the show. And I think that's probably true for most of our audience. It's called Closing Arguments. First of all, I thank you again for being here and sharing your story. I know it's not easy. And just for being the beacon of light that you are. And then what happens is I turn my microphone off and leave yours on. And then I'll just kick back in my chair with my headphones on and just listen for any other thoughts that you want to share. Of course, as we always do, we're going to save Paul for last because we're here for you, Paul. But first, I want to turn over to you, Tony, for any thoughts you want to share that we haven't already covered. Well, I just want to say something about Paul. I just want to say what an inspiring person he is, that he has kept the attitude and the faith, and that I think a lot of that comes from the kind of person he is, but also from the support he gets. So I'm just grateful the support of this podcast, of you, Jason, and would encourage people to continue to give that support because it makes a difference. And I'm hoping that it will also perhaps put additional pressure forth in order to set him free as he should be. And now, Paul, over to you. I have been incarcerated for 16 years for a crime I didn't commit. I have been fighting since day one to prove my innocence to the court system. I haven't given up and it is a terrible injustice not only for me and my family, but it's also been a terrible injustice for Catherine and for her family. I'm so grateful that I have people in my life that do care about me and that are willing to spend so much time and energy and effort and heartache and tears and pain to support me and continue to to fight with me for justice. And maybe there's someone listening out there, someone who's dealing with an injustice, someone who's dealing with an addiction, loneliness, some kind of isolation. My message to you is just don't give up. Continue to fight. Continue to believe. Just know there are people who care about you. There is a better way than what you're living through right now. Just keep continuing on. I guess that is my message for everyone. I firmly believe that justice will be served and I will be exonerated one day. I don't know when that day is going to be, but I'll keep praying for it to happen soon. I just thank you. I thank everyone at the Wrongful Conviction Podcast who works behind the scenes, and especially my friends, my family, and Tony Marie, my amazing lawyer who is so bright and intelligent and really my champion. So I thank you. Thank you for listening to Wrongful Conviction. I'd like to thank our production team, Connor Hall, Justin Golden, Jeff Clyburn, and Kevin Wardis, with research by Lila Robinson. The music in this production was supplied by three-time Oscar-nominated composer Jay Ralph. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Wrongful Conviction, on Facebook at Wrongful Conviction Podcast, and on Twitter at Wrong Conviction, as well as at Lava for Good on all three platforms. You can also follow me on both TikTok and Instagram at It's Jason Flom. Wrongful Conviction is a production of Lava for Good Podcast in association with Signal Company Number One. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, 
Oh my god, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 